This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 179, entitled The Logos and Targum Neophyti. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I will be your host. I appreciate you so much for listening to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, which is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. In last week's episode, we looked at the concept of God's Word, namely the Word being the Logos that shows up in John's Gospel, but this concept of God's Word also showed up in the early Jewish Targum, Onkelos. And this Targum, which was written in Aramaic, described God's Word as God's Memra. And we looked at all the different ways in which the Memra showed up in Targum Onkelos, and we compared it to John chapter 1. We noticed that the Word was just another way of talking of God's activity. The Word was the vehicle through which God created the world. But we didn't find was any evidence that God's word or God's memory was a pre-existing, conscious, divine person alongside God. In fact, the word was just another way of expressing God's own behavior and activity. Now, in last week's episode, I probably went a little bit overboard with the examples and the data that I shared. That's why it was one of the longer episodes that I have recorded. And I have heard the feedback from people saying, we don't need that many examples, we don't need that much data, we get the point, we can make the similar point with a fewer amount of occurrences of data. And so in this week's episode, where we look at another Targum, this one being Targum Neophyti, I'm going to show a smaller pool of evidence that is going to demonstrate the same points. Targum Neophyti is also a Aramaic Targum, which was a Jewish interpretation of the Hebrew Bible. Targum Neophyti was a Targum on the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we'll look at Targum Neophyti to see how it describes the activity of God with the Aramaic word Memra which is the word for, well, word. The Aramaic Mimra is akin to the Greek Logos. And so after looking at the evidence of how God's word or God's Mimra shows up in this early Jewish Targum, we can go back and look at John 1 to see how our reading of John 1 can be enhanced in light of the context that is created by Targum Neophyti. Will we find out that Targum Neophyti depicts the Word as a distinct, conscious, pre-existing person alongside the Father? Or is God's Memra depicted in Targum Neophyti just another way of talking of God's own activity and acts in creation? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at Targum Neophyti and its use of the Mimra. Now, Targum Neophyti was discovered in the Vatican Library in the middle of the 20th century. 
Now, it was written many hundreds of years earlier, but the data that scholars have come up with when looking at Targum Neophyti suggests that it could have been written in the first century, and some scholars have actually said it was written in pre-Christian times. However, there's evidence of revisions and multiple hands that were involved in the final product that is now known as Targum Neophyti, and some of those revisions probably took place in the second and third centuries. But since it originally began in the first century, perhaps even before the Christian writings came into existence, we have a document that helps us to situate the understanding of how some Jews understood God in relation to his word, to his memra. Now, Targum Neophyti is simply a Targum on the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, as we've already mentioned. But it is the largest Targum on the Torah. It is much larger than Targum Onkelos. Of course, this Targum is written in Aramaic. And the Aramaic is there to interpret what the Hebrew actually said. So when we look at all of the occurrences of Mimra within Targum Neophyti, and there's over 400 occurrences of it, like nearly 200 more occurrences of Mimra when you compare Targum Neophyti to Targum Onkelos, when we look at all of those, we can actually come up with four different ways in which this word is used. Now, last week I had provided five different ways, but I think you can shrink those down to four different ways. And so what I've noticed is that these four ways help us to understand and describe accurately how God's word was understood within these first five books of the Hebrew Bible, according to the Targumist, who is interpreting these passages. So the first way is just another way of talking of God's activity. So I'm going to give a passage from the Hebrew Bible, and then I'll give the translation, the interpretation that Targum Neophyti gives. So in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created. That's Genesis 6 verse 7. And Targum Neophyti says, So the Mimra of the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings that I have created. And so we have the word of the Lord replacing God when God speaks. So it just seems to be another way of talking of God's activity. In Genesis 19 verse 13, the passage reads, For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. That's Genesis 19, verse 13. In reference to these three men, these three messengers that show up in Sodom and Gomorrah, and says that Yahweh has sent these three men to destroy it. Now the Targum Neophyti interprets this as saying that the Memra of the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So it's interesting that these three men were not understood to be the word of Yahweh, 
the word of the Lord. It was that God's word has sent them in a way of describing God sending them. So it's very interesting. There's a lot of speculation in regard to the identity of these three persons, but at least Targum Neophyte does not think that God's word, God's logos, God's memra, is to be equated with at least one of these three men. Moving along, in Genesis 22, where Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, we can see in verse 8 that Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. That's Genesis 22, verse 8. Targum Neophyte interprets this passage, and it says that Abraham said, the memra of the Lord will provide the lamb. So there, instead of God himself, with that singular pronoun, providing the lamb, that is interpreted as the memra of the Lord. God himself, of course, is a singular pronoun, and that is described as God's word, meaning God's word, the word of the Lord, is a, just another way of talking about God himself. And the last passage we'll look at in this particular category is Genesis 31, verse 3, which says, Then Yahweh said to Jacob, Return to the land of your ancestors and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Genesis 31, verse 3. Targum Neophyte interprets this last little part as saying that my word will be with you. My memra will be with you. So instead of God personally being with them, it's just another way of talking about God for Neophyte to say that God's word will be with Jacob. So there you could see lots of evidence that one of the ways in which the memra, the word, is used in Targum Neophyte is just another way of talking about God and God's activity. The second way in which the memra is used in Neophyte is that it bridges the perceived gap between God and his creation. There was a lot of evidence for this in Targum Onkelos, and it's not surprising that we see a lot of the same in Targum Neophyte. In Genesis 17 and verse 1, we read, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Targum Neophyte interprets this passage in Aramaic as saying that the word of the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the God of heaven. It's very interesting. So instead of God personally appearing to Abram, this was some sort of closeness and transcendence of God that bothered a lot of early Jews in their interpretation of the Old Testament. Targum Neophyte interprets it as the word of the Lord appeared to Abram, but the word of the Lord was able to say that I am God. It's very interesting. So it bridges this gap to where there perceived to be this problem of God appearing to people. So they would use God's word appearing to Abram. In Exodus 3, verse 4, which is the burning bush incident involving Moses, we read, When the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. That's Exodus 3, verse 4. 
Targum Neophyte interprets this passage as saying that the word of the Lord called to him out of the bush. This places the word in close proximity to Moses because it bridges the gap between God and his creation. Another passage is Exodus 3 verse 8 where God says, I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land flowing with milk and honey. Exodus 3 verse 8. Targum Neophyte interprets this passage in saying that in my word, in my memra, I have come down to deliver. So God is coming down, but God is coming down through the agency of his word. Thus, it bridges the gap between God and his creation. But God is actually coming down in the form of his memra, in the form of his word. In Numbers chapter 1, verse 1, we can see a little bit more of the same. Numbers chapter 1, verse 1 says, The Lord, Yahweh, spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. Numbers 1, verse 1. So Yahweh is speaking to Moses in the tent. There's a close proximity between Moses and Yahweh. And Targum Neophyte interprets this as saying that the word of the Lord spoke with Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. So this perceived problem of how God could possibly be in the tent with Moses is solved by saying that the word of the Lord was there in the tent with Moses. But the word just is another way of talking about God. So that's the second way in which Mimra is used in Targum Neophyte. The third way is that God's word, God's Mimra, is just another way of talking about God's commands, God's words, or simply the voice of God. So in Genesis 15, verse 6, we have Abram believing the Lord, believing Yahweh, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, verse 6. Now the Targumist in Targum Neophyte interpreted this passage in Aramaic by saying that Abram believed in the name of the Mimra of the Lord. So Abram believed what God had said. So Abram believed in the name of the word of the Lord, because what God had said indicates that his words are powerful promises and that these words, of course, could be understood as God's word, God's memra. So believing God is the same, according to Targum Neophyte, as believing in the name of the memra of the Lord. That's an interesting example. Another example is in Leviticus 8, verse 4, which says, And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Targum Neophyte interprets this as saying that Moses did as the memra of the Lord commanded him. So Yahweh commanding Moses what to do with God's commandments and ordinances is understood by the Targumist as something that Moses was obedient to in regard to the word of the Lord commanding Moses. The word of the Lord commanding Moses is interpretation of God himself commanding Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 2, we can see that, quote, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you listen 
to the Lord your God. That's Deuteronomy 28, verse 2. So if they were to listen to Yahweh using the verb shamar, where we get the shema, the listening with the intent to obey, then the blessings will come upon them. The Targumist in Neophyte interpreted this as saying that if you listen to the memra of the Lord your God. So listening to God with the intent to obey is understood as listening to the word of the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy 34 verse 10, which talks about the legacy of Moses after his death, it says, Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. That's Deuteronomy 34 verse 10. And it's this phrase that the Lord knew Moses face to face, which was interpreted in this Targum. And in Targum Neophyte, it actually regards Yahweh as the Mimra of the Lord who knew Moses speech to speech. So there's a couple of interesting changes that actually took place there. It's not Yahweh knowing Moses. It's the word of Yahweh knowing Moses. And also, it's not a face-to-face -face encounter. It's the word of Yahweh knowing Moses speech to speech. There, not only is God being defined as God's word, but his intimate knowledge of Moses is interpreted not in the sense of someone looking at someone face to face, but it's speech to speech. God's word is interpreted as God's own speech. And Moses, his interaction with God and his communicating with God is also interpreted as speech. So that's the third way in which Mimra shows up and is used within Targum Neophyte. The fourth and final way is, surprisingly to me, the most abundant way that I have found. And it is that God creates through his powerful word. And when you do a word study on Mimra within Targum Neophyte, the most abundant chapter in which Mimra shows up in all of its occurrences out of all the chapters in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is in Genesis chapter 1. And let's look and see how this shows up. So in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 1-3. So there you have God speaking and creating light with his powerful word. And Targum Neophyte interprets this as saying, Then the word of Yahweh said, Let there be light, and there was light according to the decree of his word. So it's not just God saying, it's the word of Yahweh said and created light, and this was all done according to the decree of God's word. There God's word is functioning as the agent through which God brings about creation. And the next verse, Genesis 1-4, we could see a little bit more of this. The Hebrew says, And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Genesis 1-4. In Targum Neophyte, it says that the word of Yahweh separated the light from the darkness. So the word of Yahweh is not just creating, it's also ordering God's Genesis creation. In Genesis 1-5, we can see 
in the Hebrew that God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Genesis 1.5. And Targum Neophyte interprets this passage by saying that the word of Yahweh called the light day and the darkness he called night. So God speaking and calling the light day is interpreted as the word, the memor of Yahweh calling the light day. And the next verse, Genesis 1.6, it says, And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Genesis 1.6. Targum Neophyte interprets this passage by saying, And the word of Yahweh said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters. So we have God saying, Let this thing take place. And it's interpreted as the word of Yahweh saying. So God's word is active in creation. And the next verse, Genesis 1-7, the Hebrew says, So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. And it's this last little phrase that gets interpreted by Targum Neophyte because it translates it as, It was according to his word. This act of God making the dome and separating it was done according to God's word, God's creative and powerful memra. In Genesis 1.8, we can see that God called the dome heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Genesis chapter 1, verse 8. Targum Neophyte interprets this as the memra of Yahweh called the dome heaven. So in the Hebrew, we have God saying that the dome is going to be called heaven. And this act of saying, this verb, yamar, appears and is interpreted as the actual noun, the memra of Yahweh, the word of Yahweh calling the dome heaven. In Genesis 1.9, we can see a little bit more of the same. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Targum Neophyte interprets this verse as saying, And the word of Yahweh said, let the waters be under the sky, be gathered together into one place, let the dry land appear. And it was so according to his word. So God speaking is interpreted as the word of Yahweh speaking, and all of these acts of creation and ordering were accomplished according to God's word. Now this noun, member of God, uh, shows up in the first chapter of Genesis 23 times. It's the largest concentration of occurrences of the Aramaic noun memra within Targum Onkelos. And if you actually interpret the entirety of the first creation account, which goes from Genesis 1-1 all the way to chapter 2 and verse 4, you actually have 26 occurrences of the noun memra within Targum Onkelos. So I think that's very interesting that the highest occurrence of memra within Targum Onkelos is used to describe the word of God as active in creation and also active in the ordering of the original creation. Now we could take all this evidence and now we can turn, now being enlightened by at least the way that this educated Jew and interpreter of Torah 
understood God's word. And we can move into the prologue of John's gospel and see if it helps us in understanding these particular passages. This moves us to our second point, point number two, which is the relevance of John 1 and the Logos that was with God. So now that we have created this context of how at least one particular Jew understood God in relation to his word, we can take those four summaries and help us to interpret the prologue of John, which is the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. Our first way of summarizing the data was that God's word was just another way of talking about God's activity. Of course, we have in the opening verse of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Of course, the word being God in Greek actually indicates that the word is fully expressive of God, but it demonstrates that the word actually expresses God and God's activity. Now, although we have the word being with God, that is a poetic way of saying that the two are working together. They are working in tandem. They're working like hand and glove. But when we saw in Targum Neophyte, God's word is not a separate person alongside God. It was just another way of describing God's activity. And so if we take that and we look at John 1.1, then the word being with God is just God's word, the way that God interacts with his creation as being along with him, which shouldn't be read too woodenly to break the poetry. We also saw that the member of God helped to bridge this perceived gap between God and his creation. Now, how does that help us in understanding the prologue of John's gospel? Well, in John 1, verses 10 through 13, we have the activity of the Logos. And we can see that while God was in heaven, the word was actually in the world, but the world did not recognize him. But those who believed in God's Logos and believed in his name would become children of God. We can see that in John 1, verses 10 through 13. And so we can see that this helps to bridge this gap between God and his creation because God is in heaven, God is on his throne, God is in charge, God is ruling, and yet God is able to interact with his creation, is able to interact with Israel through the agency of his word. His word is in the world. His word is not recognized. His word is rejected by most people. But those who do believe it actually become children of God. The third way in which we saw that the memory showed up and was used within Targum Neophyte, in that the word was just another way of talking about God's commands, words, and his own voice, helps us to understand a little bit of the wider context of the Gospel of John. Because if God's word is just another way of talking about God's commands, then to obey God is just another way of saying obeying God's commands. Obeying God and obeying his memra is just like obeying what God has said, obeying God's commands, obeying God's ordinances. And so when the logos gets embodied 
into the human Jesus, and Jesus is walking around as this embodied word, he speaks the commands of God as the embodied logos of God. We might also say that Jesus is the embodied memra of God. That would be how the Targumist in Targum Neophyti would have understood it if he was a Christian who agreed with the prologue of John's Gospel. And then the final way in which we saw that Memra was used in Targum Neophyti was the way in which God created through his powerful word. We saw lots of evidence in Genesis chapter 1 where God created through his Memra. It was so according to his Memra. God spoke, and it was actually the Memra that spoke, and the word helped to order the creation and to make it good. And we can see that John 1, 1 says, in the beginning, and it quotes the Septuagint of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which also says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did God create the heavens and the earth? Well, God did it by speaking. That was interpreted by Targum Neophyti as God through his memra, God through his word, creating and ordering and separating. John chapter 1, verse 3 says that all things were made through God's logos. And that's how nearly every single verse of Genesis chapter 1 is interpreted in Targum Neophyti. All things were made through God's memra. Even in John 1.10, we have a repeat of what is said in John 1.3, where it says the world was made through the logos. That is a creation expression. All of these points were heavily emphasized in Targum Neophyti, where the concentration, the heaviest concentration, of member occurrences was in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, which deals with the original Genesis creation, just as the opening of the prologue deals with the original Genesis creation. The point is that the word in Targum Neophyti is not a distinct divine being alongside God. It's not a pre-existing person alongside God. It is God's speech. It is God's word. It is God's powerful and creative utterance that represents God, that expresses God, that demonstrates God's activity, and it participates in the acts of creation by functioning as an agent. So in conclusion, we have observed that Targum Neophyti was an early Jewish Targum where Aramaic interpretations of the Hebrew Bible, specifically the first five books of the Old Testament, used God's memra to express various ways in which God interacts with his creation. We saw that God's memra was used in Targum Neophyti over 400 times, and that they were used in ways that were similar to Targum Onkelos despite the fact that Targum Neophyti had no knowledge of Targum Onkelos and vice versa. In Targum Neophyti, we saw that God's word was just another way of talking of God's own activity, and that God himself is interpreted in Aramaic as God's word, doing the very same action. We also observed that God's memra, God's word in Neophyti, helped to bridge the perceived gap between God and his creation so that places in which God appears to human beings is interpreted as God's word 
appearing to human beings and that the word basically is God and what God is doing. Furthermore, we saw that God's mimra in Neophyte was talking about God's commands, words, and voice so that obeying God was understood as obeying the mimra of God or obeying the word of God. Lastly, we saw that there was a heavy concentration of God and his word used in the interpretation of Genesis chapter 1 to where nearly every single verse was interpreted in light of God's actions, God speaking and God creating within Targum Neophyte as God's word creating and speaking and ordering God's creation. There's no evidence at all that the Jewish Targumist or the various hands that helped contribute to the writing of Targum Neophyte understood God's word as a conscious divine being. The member of God in Neophyte is not a pre-existing person. It's certainly not a distinct person alongside God. God's word in Targum Neophyte is another way of talking about God himself. And we saw that these various ways of understanding God's word as illumined by Targum Neophyte can help us to accurately understood, likely, how John 1 was intended to be understood as it was written at the end of the first century in light of this Jewish context of understanding God in relationship to his word. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Join us next week as we look at Titus 2.13, which is one of those dubious text that might call Jesus the great God and Savior, or it might not. This next episode, we'll look at this language in Titus to determine if Jesus is being called the great God, what this might even mean to the original audience of the letter to Titus, and what sort of theology we could make of what the passage is saying. So, Please look forward to this episode dedicated entirely to Titus 2.13. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote these foundational truths about God's oneness and the humanity of Jesus Christ. You can offer a donation through the PayPal link that is linked in the show notes. Special thanks to Dustin Williams, who is the editor and producer of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith, your host. And until next time, you folks, please take care.